for those of you that don't know me, good morning. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, we're going to be opening up the Bible now. And Mary's going to be dishing out some Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get a Bible to you. And we'll, uh, if you don't have one at home, please take it as a gift from us. And we're looking, we're concluding our story in Jonah. Let me empty my pockets because it's ready. There we go. Keep my phone for the time. So we have been looking at the book of Jonah and we've reached our final week this week. And I've called this series The Story of a Runner. It's been good, hasn't it, to be journeying through this book of the Bible. Uh, Jonah has been called to go and preach to a place called Nineveh, a city that is not a great city, a city of brutality, really. Didn't want to go, ran the other way, found himself shipwrecked, then found himself in the belly of a fish, then got spat out, then went again, then gave a five-word sermon. Nineveh turned around completely, massive transformation. Uh, they properly repented. And then we read in chapter 4, Jonah's not a very happy chappy after this. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4, we're going to read, and I'm going to pray before I start reading. I don't think it's on the screen this morning. I don't think that's the right PowerPoint. <laughs> hmm. So it's entitled, The Jonah and All of Us, I believe. <laughs> Lord, we pray for Stuart. <laughs> thank you, Stuart. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you've been moving by your spirit as we've unpacked this book. Thank you you've been stirring. Thank you you've been challenging. Thank you that you have been speaking, Lord. And I just pray increase over it, Lord, over uh, the words that are spoken. May you just come to the forefront. May it be less than me, Lord. Would you speak into individual circumstances? Would you reignite dreams? Would you take our fears? Holy Spirit, come. Would you bring peace in the storms? Amen. So, chapter 4. Let's read. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you do not, did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. 
Amen. Amen. So call this the Jonah in all of us. Uh, it's about, well, it's probably six or seven years ago in discerning the call for Maddie and I to plant Inverness Vineyard Church. Amazing things happened. And if you come to our welcome dinners, if you haven't been to us as we plug for our welcome dinners as well, we share in a bit more depth around what brought us here and what God did uh, in terms of the story and the call to Inverness. For Maddie, it was a homecoming for Maddie. She's an Invernesian from Skorgui. It was a bit of a homecoming, coming back to the Highlands. Uh, my parents had moved here from Glasgow. My dad was a Baptist minister, and we would pass through Inverness. My dad was, is from Brora, so we would pass through Inverness going on summer holidays up to Brora, and amazing memories of staying with my granny, and there used to be a wee golf course at the shore at Brora, which was free, and we'd go out and play golf and get our Capaldi's ice cream Capaldi's ice cream. If there's one thing you take away from today, Capaldi's ice cream, go and try it. Obviously, I hope you take more than that, but Capaldi's ice cream is good. Uh, lots of amazing memories. So my dad's from Brora, and uh, as I moved here, I became the chaplain for Clachnacudden, a Highland League team that uh, play at Merkinch, and they end up playing Brora, Brora Rangers. And uh, the first time, I remember the first time that Clach played Brora Rangers, and a swarm of people in the boardroom came towards me, and they went, Tommy Urquhart's son. And I went, yes. And they went, you're his double. You're his double. You look, and I've hated that, like, growing up. I don't know about you, but when you get told that you're your parents' double, you're just like, as a teenager, I was like, oh, shush. But even at that point, I'm like, oh, really? Really? But also, uh, I notice little quirks now, now that I'm getting older. I notice things that I do that my dad done, and I laugh at. I laughed at when I was younger, and I'm becoming that person. The things that I used to laugh at, I am now doing. You know, I got so fired up reading this chapter for a number of reasons. Firstly, I read it going, Jonah, mate, you're missing the mark. You're missing out here. There's so much wrong in your attitude, your heart, your posture, your, your reactions, your anger, your decisioning, your language, your childishness. Can you not see it? I just wanted to grab Jonah and go, can you not see it? What God's doing through you in Nineveh? I'd love to have a wee moment. If I could spend time with him, you know, the fixer in me thinks I could talk some sense into Jonah. I could get him to see. It's quite striking there's no one else mentioned. And we'll touch on that a bit later on. There's no one else mentioned in this account alongside Jonah. But then I have a moment thinking in what this book is really doing. And that Jonah's writings are serving right now is actually what it's doing is serving up a mirror, it's, it's holding up a mirror really. It's holding up a mirror right now into what can happen in our lives and what can happen in your life and what can happen in my life. That there's a lot going on with Jonah that can be going on with us. And uh, we are at times more like Jonah than we care to admit or acknowledge. And instead of reading it longing to confront and challenge Jonah, I began reading it and confronting and challenging myself through Jonah in my attitudes, in my heart posture, in my reactions, in my anger, in my decisioning, in my language, in my childishness. So as we look to unpack with that approach, there's a few things we can do as a church family right now in this moment. We can step away, we can stay still, or we can step in. And can I encourage us right now in this moment to step in, to step in. There's a very real challenge in that. There's a squirmy, uncomfortable awkwardness that happens as we step in 
in those moments because maybe we don't like highlighting what, what isn't going great or uh, we don't want to allow the Holy Spirit to delve that little bit deeper. But when we come into His presence, those moments where we step in carry power and something happens. There's power to transform, there's power to empower, to spark dreams, to speak life and hope and bring what is dead back to life. And we put it right by pouring out to God, by taking that step. He's the best person for the job. And I don't know about you, but I want to see more of that in this space. I'm hungry for more of that in this space, more healings, more transformations, more dreams that are in the dust coming to life again. Life in its fullness, fear to be broken, shame to be shown the door, sin's grip to be released, to be wrestled from our hearts and minds, and for us to have a heart for the city, to have a renewed heart for the Highlands, for Scotland, for those that don't know Jesus. And I believe there's like little warning signs as we unpack this. It's almost like airport scanners. You know, when you take everything that you think is going to beep and you go through and you're beeping anyway. I think there's a wee moment as we unpack God's Word where we get little beeps, like the airport scanners, as we read and unpack. And I just want to encourage you in those moments where there's a little beep, you're like, oh, just to let the Lord search you, just to go, Holy Spirit, come, come. So the Jonah in all of us, firstly, picks, pick and choose who to save. I remember at high school, it was quite a challenging time. Uh, I was a bit of a geek at high school. I uh, done all right. I got good grades. I was quite quiet. And it was quite a challenging high school. It was in Vale of Leaven, uh, Western Bartonshire. And it was, it was really challenging in terms of just deprivation and just folk in my class. It was just really hard at times. And uh, I remember in second, in second year at school, I found my sweet spot, and it was basketball. It was my sport. I was a wee bit taller. I could, I could play to a decent level, and it was good, and I loved it. And my height obviously gave me an obvious advantage, and uh, I managed to score from distance quite regularly, if I do so say, say so myself. I was always okay. I was okay. And I remember the beginning of PE, and we all probably have encountered this, where we pick the teams, where we pick the teams. And we're all lined up. And I was generally a mid-card pick, you know, in the middle. Uh, but then, because I, I was okay at basketball, a bit taller, I was elevated to be one of the first ones. I'd proved myself. But I remember the last ones were always the last ones. And there was the air of inevitability. And although they were picked, they were never really chosen. We watch The Apprentice. We quite enjoy The Apprentice. And the same thing happens. I mean, The Apprentice now is cringier than ever on television. You know, it's, and I think, I could do that. I could go in and win that, Mary, couldn't I? And she's like, yeah, we could do it together. We could win it together. <laughs> but the last task always involves all the contestants coming back, and they line them all up. And you see that awkwardness when it gets to the last two with their suits on. They're like, yeah, I'm glad to be on that team. When they're the last people chosen, you could tell that they weren't really happy. And as I think back to those pick-and-choose moments, I think we adopt some of that attitude in our lives in all sorts of ways. There's certain people we choose and some who are just picked because there's no one else. And I think sometimes, I, I sometimes think of the faces on that basketball, in that basketball hall, who are always last, who are never chosen. And I could see 
as I think back, I could see how they were feeling in that moment, week after week, week after week. And I just had a wee moment this week of just praying for those boys and just like, Lord, would you just show them they're loved? Show them they're loved. Show them they're loved. May they know your love. Maybe that was you this morning. Maybe that was you. And I don't know, maybe there's some healing this morning in that. But I think the pick and choose attitude that can often live alongside our journey with life, with friendships, at work, or uh, other areas, I think Jesus, if we look at Jesus, he was never the pick and choose kind. He was an everybody always kind of guy. Everybody always kind of guy. And I long for us to be an everybody always kind of church. Nobody is beyond God. Everybody matters. Jonah wasn't an everybody always kind of guy. Nineveh was an enemy. It would always be that way. God's grace couldn't factor in for Jonah. He couldn't comprehend. He couldn't reach that point. For Jonah, they deserved what was coming to them. To Jonah, they were beyond saving. You see, Jonah was quite all right to receive mercy and to receive uh, being scooped up by God and saved in the depths. But uh, when it came to him running away, when it came to him saying, no, I'm not going to do that. But when it jarred with his pick and choose living, he couldn't cope. When God extended that very same mercy to Nineveh, and scooped them from the depths, he couldn't hack it. He couldn't hack it. And when the stories extended further, wider, and bigger than seemed possible, it got hard to accept for Jonah. His understanding of grace and mercy had its limits. It had its end point. It had no way forward for Jonah. And God doesn't quite operate like that. And we're thankful that he doesn't. And I think there's a challenge for our lives, for the people that we've discounted, the people that we've ignored, who jar against us. People we go, oh, they've made their bed so they can lie in it. The people we purposely avoid, those who have maybe tarred with a brush. I think that's the phrase. To lay down the pick and choose attitude and be an everybody always kind of people, to love those who are given up on, to look at the last in line, to look at the forgotten, to look for the lonely, to look for the poor. Jonah had no space at all in his heart for God to do anything in Nineveh, and it's really sad. It's really sad, but I want to share that doesn't need to be our story. Bob Goff, in his brilliant book, Everybody Always, which I encourage you to read, alongside a book called Love Does as well, just excellent books full of stories, he says this, I think Jesus meant something different when he said enemies. He meant that we should love the people we don't understand, the ones we disagree with, the ones who are flat wrong about more than a couple of things. I have plenty of those people in my life, and I bet the bet is that you do too. I quite like that. What would it look like for that little bit of Jonah in us to be laid down this morning, to not pick and choose, but to love and to ask for more of the Father heart of God for His children, to ask God for more grace, to go on the journey of offering our heart to the Lord for those who we can't just see away, those who we just like, oh, Lord, to step in. He's the way maker. There's a different story ahead. So we pick and choose who to save. The Jonah and all of us can live with a portrayal problem is the second point I want to look at. Uh, I remember watching a talk a few years ago by Mike Pilavachi, who's at Soul Survivor Church, and he pioneered an amazing youth 
movement uh, where over 30,000 young people for over 20, I think it finished with 30,000 young people, but 26 years he'd done this youth festival uh, down south every summer. Just incredible legacy. And he pastors a church down in Watford in London. And he was sharing a story about his early days doing ministry and going to meetings. And he was alongside another guy who was a bit more seasoned, a bit more experienced. And they were doing some prophecy. They were doing some prophetic words, asking the Lord if they had any words for people at all. And he's a young youth pastor at the time standing alongside this guy. And he, could, he got a song in his head. And he couldn't get it out of his head. And it was an ABBA song. It was the ABBA song called Dancing Queen. And he had this battle, and he speaks about it. He says, I had this battle where he's just like, in his head, he's like, I'm not saying that. That's ridiculous. And he thought, I'm not going to think that song. But you know that way when you think about not thinking about something, you think about it more. So the song played louder and louder and louder in his head. And then the guy next to him started prophesying about Ezekiel and dry bones really profound. And he's standing there with this Abba song playing in his head. And this guy's quoting scripture and he's like sweating going, what on earth? I can't possibly, I can't possibly. And he prayed a prayer to himself. He said, he prayed for the second coming. He said, Lord, return now, return now. But then he felt the Lord kind of stir him. And he says these words, if I pass on this, I will pass for the rest of my life. So he said in the microphone to this group of people, young youth pastor, alongside this seasoned veteran, in the words of Abba, this is the word I have. You can dance, you can jive, having the time of your life. And then he just wanted the ground to swallow him up. But at that point, two ladies started laughing at the back of the crowd. And they came to the front and they said, three weeks ago, we started a dancing group. And I said to my husband that I, I was driving into this meeting, unless the Lord speaks tonight, I'm going to cancel the group. Paul told the church in Corinth, which had embraced worldly wisdom in 1 Corinthians a couple of times, that we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ because of their desire for the wisdom of the world. Paul had to rebuke the church in Corinth because they did not take into account the foolishness of the Christian message. John Piper, an American pastor, says this, thoughtful fools, to be sure, hope-filled fools, to be sure, happy fools with lots of serious joy, to be sure, but fools nevertheless, unashamed, happy fools, not self-pitying, not dour or doer, not defensive, not forlorn, not miserable, not, oh, poor me, fools, but unashamed, happy, hope-filled fools for Christ. In verse 5, after Jonah had delivered that message, he had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. He made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen. You know, as I read those verses, I'm more convinced that Jonah in that moment was really concerned about looking silly. He'd given this word to Nineveh, 40 days, and it's the, the place is gone. And he went up to this hill to wait, to get a view of what was going to happen. And he struggled with it not going the way he wanted it to go, with being a fool, with sharing a word of destruction to Nineveh and not seeing it come to pass. So much so that he wanted to die. Think about that. 
It was that important. It was that intrinsically linked to Jonah's identity. If I get this wrong, I want to die. Wow. Wow. He couldn't cope. Jonah's warning for Nineveh wouldn't come to pass, and it hurt. I want to challenge us, church, this morning. Are we afraid to look silly? How do we, are we worried about how we look? Are we just fitting in? Or are we set apart? Are we okay looking silly for Christ's sake? Are we okay to have an Abba song as a word and to go, Mary, I'm not sure, but I've got this word. It's another Abba song, funnily enough, but I'm throwing it out there in faith. Do we stick our neck out in the line for Jesus? Are we scared looking silly? Scared what to say? You know, some of us after a bad experience have maybe been silenced. And the Lord is equipping you by His Spirit right now as I say these words. Find your voice again. I have given you a, I've given you a gift. I've given you a gift. And I also felt as I was uh, preparing, there's a few of us here as well, and there's, a, there's an instruction, an encouragement to go and pray for the sick. To go and pray for the sick again. To go and pray for the sick. And the Lord, just as I've said that, you know, oh gosh, that's me. That's what the Lord's put in me, a passion to see people healed. And I have to go again. I have to go again. And then just finally, the Jonah and all of us choose plants over people. Stories told of a man who's driving in the country one day, and he saw an old man sitting on a fence rail, watching the cars go by, one after another. Stopping to pass the time of day, the traveler said, I could never stand living out here. You don't see anything, and I'm sure you don't travel like I do. I'm on the go all the time. The old man in the fence looked down at the stranger and said, I can't see much difference in what I'm doing to what you're doing. I sit in the fence and watch all the cars go by, and you sit in the car and watch all the fences go by. It's just the way you look at things. When Goliath came against the Israelites, the soldiers all thought, he's so big, no one could kill him. David looked at the same giant and thought, he's so big, I can't miss. Perspective matters. Perspective matters. Some of us have made such big giants of our problems and our issues and our battles, and we magnify them and they fuel us. And we forget to magnify the greatness of our God in worship and in prayer. For Jonah, he was lost in the death of a plant instead of rejoicing in the revival of people. Just, just think about that for a second. Let's just sit on that. Let me read it out again. For Jonah, he was lost in the death of a plant instead of rejoicing in the revival of a people. Plants over people. It's quite funny but it's also quite serious and until we recognize the things that we can get concerned about in our day-to-day -day life that actually don't really matter, that we lose ourselves in, that consume us, that loses us. And Jonah actually says to God, it is right I'm angry about this. It is right. Yes, I'm angry. I want to die again. I wonder what we get our ourselves lost in when the kettle breaks, we have a flat tire, when the neighbors wind us up. You know, I have been on a journey with this, and Mary would agree, of laying the 
anxiety-filled walk of perspective down to Jesus. And I'm so much better, thanks to Jesus, in terms of that. Every little thing would just consume me, the tiniest and silliest of things, and Mary would bring me right back down to earth. Don't worry about that. You know, just somebody speaking in, seriously? (laughs) To choose people over plants, to focus on God's grace and mercy and love and try my best to live out of that, to be in His presence, to be an everybody always kind of guy, to do more things for Jesus that could make me look silly when He tells me to. And you know, also just to choose people over plants, to look at where my heart sits. What stirs our hearts this morning, church, are our hearts breaking over the stories that we're hearing. We're going to spend time a bit later, just towards the end, just praying over Syria and Turkey. I think it's 26,000 people have lost their lives. Do our hearts get filled and focused with the wrong things, with The Apprentice and Netflix and hobbies and gardens and smartphones? Nice stuff, but not the main and the plain the bread and butter. A good question to ask is, Jesus, where are you in my heart when I hear about your people, when I hear things that break yours? How how am I responding? It's a really good question. And just to ask the Lord for more of His heart, to empty us of the world stuff, and to break us afresh for His stuff. To break us afresh for His stuff. I just want to pray that just now. Can we just pray? I just want to pray, come Holy Spirit, that you would awaken us, that you would stir us. And I've just written here like a defib moment, I'm not saying the word, the defib, a defib moment. For some of us this morning is like a shock back into, into life. I pray that you would do that. I pray that we would arise. I pray that you would give us perspective, Lord. Please, will we get lost, 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 lost in the things that just consume us, that just don't need to consume us. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you consume us now? Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Soften our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts. Clean hands, pure hearts. Clean hands, pure hearts. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. And then just as I close, I also think it could have been an extra point, but it's just a couple of lines. I think there's a challenge in community with this passage. As I mentioned, there's no one else but Jonah in here. And I think that's a contributor. I want to ask, who are your Jesus mates? Who's your Jesus mates? As I said at the very beginning, I would have loved to get into Jonah there and go, perspective's all wrong, Jonah. Look what the Lord's doing. Are you serious? I'd love to just pray with you, Jonah. I want to ask us, who are our Jesus mates? Who are the people that can just get right in front of us and go, Emma, I'm not so sure what's going on. Rory, have you, really? Come on, let's have a chat. Let's go for a drink. Who are our Jesus mates? 
Who are our Jesus mates? Who's got our back? Are we in life group? Have we got people around us? It's so, so, so important. Eugene Peterson says this, in my 50 years of being a pastor, uh, my most difficult assignment continues to be uh, the task of developing a sense among the people I serve of the soul-transforming implications of grace, a comprehensive foundational reorientation from living anxiously by my wits and muscle to living effortlessly in the world of God's active presence. The prevailing Western culture is, to all intents and purposes, a context of persistent denial of grace. Jonah lived in that denial of the implication of God's grace. It couldn't extend beyond certain Jonah-made boundaries. It's a challenge, but it's one that Jesus wants involved in with us. He came for you and for me, but not only in here. He came for Inverness. He came for the Highlands. He came for the nations, that no man or woman would be left behind. That's his heart. That's his heart. Why don't we stand? We've got a good 10 minutes, which is good. If you want, I encourage you just to put your hands out in front of you. It would be really good. And just in terms of receiving from God, it's just a really helpful posture just to say, Lord, I want to receive the gifts that you have for me. I want you to speak. I want you to just come in to invade Go where you want to go, Lord. It's a permission thing as well, posture and permission. We give you, we give you, we give you ourselves right now, and we say, "Come, Holy Spirit." And then we'll just wait.